This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, 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 in Jesus' name, amen. Reading from Mark chapter 1. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when, their, when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved Son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once. They also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, Be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. 
What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It is such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up, went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, Everyone's looking for you. But Jesus replied, We must go to another town as well. I will preach to them too. This is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging him to heal him. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I'm willing, he said. Be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared, and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed by lepr of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out of in secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. Can you say amen to the reading of the word? You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for being part of what we're launching out, the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 2 is coming this week, and I want to talk to you in my heart of Mark chapter 1. Uh, to do so, um, maybe you saw a little clip in the video of why God has put the chapter of Mark on my heart, the Gospel of Mark. But um, I want to get everybody on the same page so that we're kind of going into this together, thinking the same way and not different. So I'd like you to just close your eyes a minute, and I want to paint a picture so that the picture we all see is the same. Well, with your eyes closed, I want you to go back at a time you're in childhood, and I'm just going to get us all there together. Early childhood, your mom and your dad are super religious people. You grow up very religious. Things are well for you. They take you all the time to what they call the house of God, and it just becomes part of your normal routine over and over your parents sit you down, they teach you prayers to pray. They teach you about God, they teach you about His house. They, they show the passion that they have for His house. You, you grow up every single week, it seems like your parents are taking you to this place they call the house of God. 
They sing songs. They talk about offerings and giving. They talk about the Word of God, the law of God, the commandments of God. You grow up through your young years and it's now just part of your DNA. You don't even know any different. You were never asked your opinion. You just were brought into this thing called the kingdom of God in, in your thinking because you, you got it by os, you know, osmosis of your parents' faith. And now you're in your teenage years, but it's part of you now. It's your DNA. You know the confessions. You know the creeds. You know the scriptures. You yourself have even started giving some of your money. Every time you go to the house of God, you've been trained to serve and trained to work and trained to bring offerings and trained to bring giving. As a matter of fact, at this point in your life, you're in your mid-teens. You're proud of yourself. You're different than other people. You've made a decision. You feel sold out and passionate to the things of God. You watch other people who aren't, and you pride yourself that, that you are this man and woman of God. You even know that God is proud of you because of the decisions that you've made and the choices that you've made. You've set yourself apart. You continue to serve in the house of God where you grew up and you become faithful there and people know you and they know your name and gatherings of people come every week and you're like a big happy family. You're, you know each other's stories. You know each other's upbringing and, and you've kind of grown up in this thing together and everything's wonderful and life works. And then one weekend, gathered together, doing what you do, singing the songs, giving the offerings, quoting the creeds, saying the scriptures, talking about the law of God, praising the name of God. Somebody busts in the back door. As soon as they do, you're kind of caught off guard because this is out of the norm. I'm not used to this. I feel like somebody's interrupting the moment. And in the middle of what we've been doing for so long that we're so comfortable with, this guy busts open the doors. It looks so disheveled. He doesn't even look like he fits the mold. He definitely doesn't look like he even belongs here with us. I don't even know who he is. He, matter of fact, out of the corner of my eye, it looks like a stranger. The ushers are now on guard. Everybody's kind of like looking, well, we got to find him a seat. And then suddenly from the back door, he yells, Repent! You brood of vipers! You're sons of the devil! And it upsets everything. Like you've never, you've never even grown up in this. It's so out of the ordinary. Your heart's racing, pounding. You're nervous. You don't know who it is. It's crazy, guys. He's going to do something. Is he going to hurt us? Did he come to do something to our community of faith? The ushers bum rush him really quickly and grab him. They grab him, and as they're taking him out through the foyer, you're kind of glad that he's gone because you're nervous because you definitely know he doesn't fit. He grabs a hold of the T-shirts. He throws them to the ground. He grabs a coffee pot, and he slams it to the floor. By now, you're ticked off. You're mad that this lunatic has ruined your day. Your heart's still racing. You're a little nervous. Like, why didn't they catch this guy before he even got this close? What if he had a gun? What if he's crazy? What if he came to blow the place up? On the way out, he screams, you've turned my house into a house of craziness. It's all about yourself. And he out the door he goes, and the ushers stand guard on the front porch. And 
Now we all kind of just muddle around. We wipe our forehead, our hearts beating. We've never seen anything like this. And all the years of going to the house of God, never. I mean, this is crazy. So then we tweet about it. We Instagram about it. We Snapchat our friends about it. It becomes the buzz of the day. We get on social media. Oh, my God, you should have seen what happened at our, at our gathering today. Oh, my God, this crazy dude just came in and started screaming at all of us, throwing things around. Dude, you should have seen it. They bum rush him, tackled him to the ground, drug him out. Man, dude, it was crazy. You should have been there. Then you find out on social media that he's been at about eight or ten other places that afternoon. He did the same thing. He disrupted everybody. You're kind of ticked, but you made it, and it kind of becomes a story. As a matter of fact, you're a really good meme creator. You start creating some memes about this crazy dude that busted in your church. Everybody's laughing. It's buzzing. We made it through the week. We're back in. We're gathered. It's up this week. We're ready. We're, repa- we're, we're prepared. We've got security stationed at the doors. We've got the ushers ready because we're not going to let this happen in our gathering of God anymore. The day goes just like normal, how it's always gone. Man, you're blessed. You walk out the door, everybody high-fives and talks about the life of God. So you decide, well, man, it's kind of nice out. I think I'm going to go over to do a walk at Sweetwater. So you kind of pack some friends up, and on your way to Sweetwater, you see the crazy dude in overalls on the side of the road. He's got about 10, 15 people with him. And you see him, and immediately your heart starts racing again. Like, oh, my God. There he is. You take some pictures like, oh, my God. You start tweeting. Dude, he's here. You're Instagramming. Dude, I just saw the dumb, the crazy dude. He's like, he's like on his way to Sweetwater. You call 911. You're like, hey, the guy everybody's looking for, I just saw him on the side of the road. Like, you got to come get him. But by the time they get there, he's gone. You're like, dude, man. And everybody's buzzing around town. This crazy dude. This crazy guy. Be careful. You go to Arbor Place Mall, man, you're hanging out with your friends at the food court. You're walking out to the car. The day's kind of ending. And as you walk to your car, you hear your name called. Mark. And you stop because you're like, hey, who's that? Your hair stands up on the back of your neck. Your heart starts beating fast. So you feel weird. And again, Mark. Over here. And as soon as you turn and look, there is the disheveled, crazy guy. And he's calling your name in the parking lot. You freak out. Oh, my God, he's stalking me. How does he know my name? Has he been been looking at my stuff? Has he been following me? Has he been stalking me? Oh, my God. I can't. How does he even know my name? Has he been here the whole time? Has he been in the parking lot the whole time? Yet at the same time, your heart is racing. This crazy man, is he going to follow me home? Is he going to rape me? What is he going to do? How does he even know who I am? How does he know my name? How, How does he even know where I'm at? And he's calling me. But at the same time, your heart is bent to respond, but you're scared to respond. But you at least want to walk over. But everything in you says you're a dummy. You don't go over to a lunatic, a crazy person. Get in your car, lock the door, get out of here. But something keeps pulling you back. But wait a minute, I, I feel different. And that lunatic, that devil worshiper, the son of Satan himself that interrupted your wonderful religious gathering, you find out is a dude called Jesus. He's the son of a carpenter. And he's screwed your whole religiosity up. He's messed up your religion. He's messed up your gatherings. And he's asked you to follow him. And now you find yourself at a crossroad. 
Well, I follow a lunatic, crazy person that the religious people call him the son of the devil. Or will I just keep doing what I've been doing my whole life? You can open your eyes. That's the question at hand. See, it's easy to look back 2,000 years and go, oh, I'd follow him for sure. But if, ah, man, this always messes me up. But if I was honest and I knew of a crazy guy that busted into churches and screamed that we needed to repent and that we were children of the devil and we weren't even doing what God wanted us to do and he was an old bum in overalls that looked like a redneck from somewhere out past Temple, Georgia, messing up my my religion, messing up my church service, interrupting the preacher and the music. And he was known across town to be the renegade, known across town to be the crazy man. I guess I would tell you that I would not follow him. I'd be like, are you crazy? I'm not going to follow the dumb dude. No way. I've been raised in this stuff. I know the law. I know God. I know his house. I know the rules. I know everything. I'm not going to follow some dude in overalls that thinks he's the son of God. You see, you and I have the beauty of 2020. We have the beauty of the word of God. We have the beauty of thousands of others that chose to follow Jesus. And we can say, well, he must be real. I guess he's good. And then our parents told us to follow him. But if we go back to, like I said in the video, to the gospel of Mark, to the moment he first called the name, to the moment before anybody knew he was the son of God, before he was ever resurrected, before he ever hung on a cross, when he shows up into a religious community and he says, you follow me, Joey. And then Joey has to say, well, who is this dude? I don't even know who he is. You and I say, well, oh, it's the Son of God. Surely you know. But if you're the first group of people that ever said yes to him, the first group of people, he was known as a politician, as a renegade, as a prophet, as a poet. He was known by the religious people as, a, as, as the son of the devil himself. They literally will call him the son of Beelzebub, meaning Jesus was labeled the son of Satan. He was labeled a lunatic. He was known to be a little bit off his rocker by his own family. And yet when we talk about him today, we talk about him from religious, oh, he's the son of God. But for the original group of people, I wonder if I would have really followed had he called my name. I wondered if I would have really laid down everything and took a risk to follow some renegade lunatic that's telling me about eternal life. Or am I just going to be so religious that I cannot dare equate my religious beliefs with this relationship of a carpenter named Jesus? Verse 37, they're going to put it on the screen. It's what jumped in my heart for us today. When they found him, they said, I want you to just kind of let this soak in a minute. We'll leave it on the screen for just a minute. Everyone is looking for you. And this chapter, Mark 1, is so intertwined with a a bunch of stuff. I've kind of wrestled with where do we go with all the different ways to go. It's almost as if Mark is a little ADD while he's writing it. It's like he's writing about John, and he goes, oh, wait a minute, and then, oh, gosh, I forgot about the lame guy. Oh, and then Peter's mother-in-law. Oh, and then the demon guy. It's like Mark is just remembering stories and writing them all down. Kind of like he's just making things up that as they pop into his mind. 
but I don't believe it's quite that um, chaotic. I think he was orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. That every story in Mark chapter 1 is going to tell a story that I believe this is the theme. Everybody's looking for you. But tagged on to that, I want to add my two cents because I want to put a comma and say, but not everybody's following you. Everybody's looking for you, but not everybody's following you. Everybody's looking for the hip church, the, the, the coolest pastor, the best music, the place where all the teenagers go, the place that's got the greatest production. We're all looking for Jesus stuff, looking for the next new book, looking for the next new video, looking for the next new worship song, the next new hip band, the next new number one worship tune, the next new conference. We're looking for God. We're trying to find Him. But Jesus didn't come and just say, hey, why don't you just look for me? When Jesus comes, comes in Mark 1, he says, we're going to go beyond looking into following. Shekinah David, I want you to follow me. And then I find myself back in the Arbor Place Mall parking lot with him going, Mark, I want you to follow me. And I start going, oh God, this guy's a nut. But I feel like I'm supposed to. But what about Robin? If I tell Robin I'm going to follow this guy, she's going to kill me. If I call her on the phone and say, the lunatic that's been going to all the church you know, gatherings is wanting me to follow him, she's like, what are you talking about, Mark? That idiot that's been going into churches and telling everybody, to you're not following him. Go back to Believer's Church and keep working. Okay, yeah, you're right. And then all of a sudden, she gets a knock on the door, and it's the disheveled dude in overalls. Oh, my God, Mark, he's on the front porch. God, lock the doors, Robin. He's going to rape you. Lock the doors. Call the cops now. Call the cops. And he's out on the porch. Robin, I want you to follow me. Girls, get in the basement quick. Do you see, when we, when we think about it in the moment it was, it's not as romantic as we make it. We make it romantic. Follow me. Okay. Yes, Lord. Bid me thou follow and I shout. I mean, that's kind of the way we do it today. And yet for the original group, everybody was cool to look, but not everybody would follow. Because to follow was going to take you to a whole other level of commitment. You see, looking requires no commitment. I don't have to commit to anything. I don't have to commit to tithe, to give, to serve, to work, to get in a group, or to even show up much. I'm a looker. I may come once a month, twice a month. I may hop around from church to church to church and give a 10 here and a 20 there. I may go to the best conferences. I may even have some really cool playlists on my iPhone because I'm a looker. And I may know all the cool words to say, amen, hallelujah, glory be to God, praise God, God's good all the time, amen. I can do all that because I'm a looker. But I would question, am I really a follower? Because a follower requires deep level commitment. It requires something of me that everybody looking is not willing to do. Because if everybody looking was willing to follow, then it would be for many are called and everybody's chosen. But he says, many are called, but few are chosen. Narrow is the way. Because to follow narrows the path a little bit. To follow requires more commitment. My personal opinion, I'm going to lump myself into this one. My personal opinion of 2020 Christianity is most people are more lookers than they are true followers. 
and I'm lumping myself in with you. I'm not trying to give myself a golden ticket here. It's just easier to look. It's easier to just casually come in the door once a month and call yourself a church attender. Oh, that's my home. And I really question, well, it may be if you're in a looking mode, but if you're a following mode, it's not about a Sunday service. It's about every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's not about where you go, who your preacher is, and what their series is. It's whether or not on Monday morning when you wake up and all hell's breaking loose, will you still follow God? It's like when you suddenly feel to lust and have an adulterous affair. Will you still follow God? When you want to cheat on your taxes, will you still follow God? When you want to go back to the addiction of porn, will you still follow God? When you want to talk gossip about somebody, will you still follow God? And what we've done in Americanized Christianity is we've turned looking into a very romantic ideal. I want to look hip, look cool, look great. So I go to the church, I get the coffee mugs with the logo, the shirts with the logos, the shoes with the logos. I get all the production, I get the lights, the smoke, everything. Because we're so impressed by looking. And we all know, if we're just honest, we all know, after it's all said and done on a Sunday, I guarantee you when those brown doors open and all of us, and I too go with you, that's when the rubber hits the road and we really start asking, we don't really care what you look like, we want to know, do you live it? Do I live it in my marriage or do I just act like it here in front of y'all while you're looking at me? Or can I go home where my kids know me? They know how I act and they can say, Dad's more than a looker, he's a follower. My father more looks at God than follows God. Because I look at the way he treats my mother. And so therefore my dad must be a looker because he treats my mother like trash. He calls himself a follower, but a follower and a looker are two totally different things. And it's why a lot of young people today don't really run passionately after God because they've watched their parents be more lookers than followers. They've watched their parents put God down here at about you know, number six or seven where the gathering is not important. His word is not that important. And at the end of the day, we've raised lookers rather than followers. And then we want to know, I don't know why my kids just don't really serve God today. I don't know why they're not passionate about his house. I don't know why they're so messed up. Because they've watched you look at God instead of follow God. You are the first inference, mom and dad, that they'll ever have of God or Jesus. So we've worked hard in our lives to become followers. And I've failed many times because looking is romantic, but yet... Man, following is relational. This side of looking just feels so good to me. The romance of it, but the following is the, the relationship of it. This one over here just pacifies my emotions. This one over here calls me to obedience. This one over here says, Jesus loves me regardless when I'm a looker. But when I'm a follower, he says, Mark, this has to end in your life today. Yes, I love you, but I don't approve of you. When I'm a looker, I just want him to love me. But when I'm a follower, I want him to approve of me. Looking versus following. And what I want to do is take you on a journey through the gospel of Mark on the differences between looking and following. Because I think that's where the battle begins to rage of being unsuccessful at this thing we call Christianity. We're unsuccessful at it. 
And I don't know, I mean, the first service was pretty raw for me. It was a little easier here because it's the second time I went through it. But I do look at myself in the Arbor Place parking lot and go, would I or would I not go with him? Or am I just content to keep looking? Because to make a commitment and go with him, it's going to require, I'm, people are going to think I'm an idiot. If I make a phone call to Chris Revin and say, hey, dude, I'm following the disheveled guy in overalls that you threw out of the church. Pastor, what are you doing? And then I have to go, dude, you got to come with me. Just trust me. That's how it was. Dude, you got to come with me and see the guy. Oh, you're kidding, Joy. I'm not going with you. Yeah, come with me, man. Come on. I'm telling you, I've already seen him. I'm telling you, he's different. Joy, you're an idiot. I'm not going with you. That's how it first got on. Andrew goes to his brother and says, we found the Messiah. They found Philip. We found him. Come on. And they followed him. So as I was praying about being a looker or a follower, and I was looking at chapter 1, I want to just break it apart to you because I've noticed this in my personal life. When I step from the line of looking and I step over into following, I suddenly bump into interference. Has anybody ever found, like me, that when you try to press into God hard, you get interfered with? <laughs> You're like, what, what in God's name is going on? Like when I was a sinner, life was easy. And then I started following God, all hell broke loose. Anybody been there other than me? Especially when you're like, man, I'm going to fast this week. It's the first of the year. I'm going on a 21-day Daniel fast. I mean, you've just had an easy sail through Christmas. And the second day you decide to press into God, all hell breaks loose. Because any time you step out of a looker and you become a follower, you're going to hit some interference. The devil cannot have you following very easily. He needs to keep you in looker mode. He needs to keep you thinking Jesus exists for you. He needs to keep you thinking Jesus wants you happy. He cannot have you in, I exist for Jesus' glory and pleasure, and I exist for to be obedient unto him. He cannot get you there. You're too deadly when you're there. So in chapter 1, I, I, to the best of my ability, you may find some, I found four interferences that hit all of us. I've been through every one of them myself personally, so they're pretty raw to me. I'll share them with you. You may have more. I've been pastoring for 30 years, and I've seen all four of them play out in most people. But they're definitely the things that interfere us all. The first one is in verse 18, if you'll look at verse 18 with me. Jesus calls Peter, and when he called Peter, this is what it said. And he left their nets and at once followed him. I'm going to leave that there just for a minute because I want to comment. That sounds so special, doesn't it? They left their nets and followed him at once. What, what it really means to me when I read it in my lingo is he quit his job where all his money and resources were, hadn't told his wife yet, and decided to follow Jesus. Because when he left his nets, that means this is his payroll. Fishing is where he gets his paycheck. So one of the first interferences that's going to come is finances. One of the biggest interferences for following Jesus is money. And just to show you what I mean, we will work 24 hours a day. 
we will work 40, 50, 60 hours a week for 10 to $15 an hour. And as a matter of fact, we sell our souls to them. They tell us when to get up and when to go to bed, what time we should show up and what time we can quit. They tell us how much vacation we can take and where how many sick days we can have. And at the end of me slaving for them, 50, 60 hours a week, time away from my, my family, time away from my children, but by gosh, every 1st and 15th, man, it pays off. It pays off. And even when you don't want to go, you still go. Because if you don't go, you get fired. And so you get up and you slave for 40, 50, 60 hours a week to get a paycheck. But then when it comes to the house of God, it's like, eh, it's my day off. I don't know. Because nobody's paying you here. Did anybody get any money when you came in the door today? No. As a matter of fact, we do it backwards. We make you give money to come here. Wow, how stupid is that? Like, come here and worship God. Oh, give us more money. What? Finances. And if you don't deal with your money, money will always drive you. God will always take a back seat to the dollar. You will always wear yourself out to get more money while you give God your leftovers. You will whine about how much the government takes, how many taxes, and why God wants the tithe. You will whine all the time because when it touches money, it touches my heart. And we get a story of a man where Jesus walks in and says, Hey, fellas, I need you to quit your jobs and come with me. What in God's name are you talking about? I would have loved to have found out what their wives said when they went home and said, We quit. What do you mean you quit? We got kids to raise. Our camel's got a bum hip and got to go to the doctor. What do you mean? Don't you know? I can't believe it. We've got to have some donkey food. What do you mean? We don't even have carpet. We have dirt. Dirt for the floors. We don't even have air conditioning. And you quit your blooming job to follow a lunatic in overalls from Temple, Georgia? No. Yet it sounds so romantic. And the first interference that comes is money. Because money will cause you, it will cause you to put God on a back shelf while you go kill yourself to earn more. And then weird, kind of feel better when you give God $10 of it. Like you feel better. I gave him five. There you go. Get off my back, God. And bless me more, God. So I do want you to know, anytime you follow Jesus, this is just my, my opinion, you don't have to believe it, I'm just going to throw it to you as I've experienced it. Anytime you follow Jesus, somewhere in your journey, He's always going to touch your money. And when He does, you can run or get in relationship with Him. Because He will always bring you to a place, are you going to trust that or me? And it might be as little as you got five bucks in your pocket. And he says, hey, I want that five dollars. Well, what you want that five dollars for, God? I thought you wanted 10%. I'll give you 50 when I break it. I ain't going to break it for about a month and a half because it's the most I've had in a long time. Anybody ever not want to break a 20? Like, oh, God, I got a 20. I can't break it. I would give God two, but they don't make a $2 bill. I gotta, gotta, I'll just keep it because when I break it, I got to give him some. Right? I mean, you know. But I will tell you this, in all my years of following God, God has never let me get so comfortable financially that he didn't pull me to trust him a little more. 
And I'm not just talking about tithing. I'm not talking about the things we do at church. That's, I hope you do. I hope you give in the offerings. Praise God. I'm just talking about being a giver. I'm just talking about you're not slave to the buck that's in your pocket. This is not my life here. This is not my happiness or my provision. This is nothing more than a little tiny resource on this planet. And it doesn't control me and it doesn't own me. And it's not my slave and I'm not its master. No, I'm not going to let this thing interfere with me. And now at 54, it took me a long time to get here. Now at 54, I'm just like, God, anything I got is yours. I wasn't that way when I was 20 and 30. I was like, God, I need all you got. You own the cattle on a thousand hills, give me 20 of them. That's all I want, 20 cows. I'm not asking for a thousand. I mean, I could tell how I grew in Christ because my prayers were, give me, give me, help me, help me, bless me, bless me. And then the more I grew in relationship with him, I'm like, God, man, I'm good. Just help me keep being a giver. Help me trust you. Help me learn to not be slave to this thing. I want to be the biggest giver I can ever be. I even took a huge step of faith last week to give more than I'd given in a long time in an offering. And I was like, okay, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Everything in me was screaming last week when David was preaching. He was preaching. I was getting convicted on the front row like, why did I let him preach? I didn't send him home. <laughs> you know, when your guest preacher's convicting you and you're like, oh, man, oh, man. He's preaching. And, and as he was going, I heard the Lord say, I want you to give a big offering today. And I was like, oh, God, I don't want to. And then it just dawned on me. I heard this in my heart. It said, Mark, no matter how much you save, you're never going to be a millionaire when you retire. You're nowhere close. You're just going to have to trust me. And then in that moment, I went to my entire financial life history. I, I, I have, to my name, $13,000. That's everything in my life. That's all my retirement. That's all my future is a $13,000 bank account. And I have worked hard to save $13,000. I'm so proud of my $13,000. Don't you touch it. And then I'm sitting there on the front row going, whoo, I finally broke $10K, man. I feel like Donald Trump. $10,000. I can actually look at Robin and say, go get a Starbucks and get a Venti. I mean, I just, right, I mean, I got enough money now. She get a large coffee and I'm not having to whine about it. And then the Lord says, I want you to do this, Mark. I want you to give this much. I'm like, God, leave my money alone. Quit. But you see, he never wants you to get to a place to where you're trusting that more than you trust him. And it is hard. I mean, even at 54, I would much rather trust how much money I have than trust the Lord. But when you follow him, he'll always ask, will you trust me? And maybe for you it's a big offering. Maybe for you it's to bless a friend. Maybe for you it's to buy somebody's lunch. But anytime you follow him, he's always going to touch your money and say, I just want to know if, if you really follow me here. Number two is verse 20. Verse number 20 says, Jesus called James and John the sons of Zebedee. And I love how this, this goes. He called James and John the sons of Zebedee and they left their father to follow him. Don't you know, the moment Jesus said, James, John, follow me, and they're in the boat with their dad, and they're like, yeah, later, dad. Like, boys, where are you going? We're going to follow the disheveled carpenter that's the lunatic. And it says, and they left their daddy in the boat with the hired help. Don't you know he's thinking, dad, blame millennials? Because it was the first of the century, right? He's still thinking, dad, blame millennials. It was zero century, but still. Millennials running off chasing some stupid dream to follow a disheveled carpenter who's a lunatic leaving me here on this dad blame boat by myself. But as I read that where James and John were willing to say to their dad, Dad, we love you, but there's a higher calling on my life. And I wrote down 
many people can't follow God consistently because of relational interference. An ex-lover, a friend. They love looking because they can keep all their friends with them that live the way they do. But the moment they step over into following, God's like, no, that's, that person's got to go. That person's got to go. That person's got to go. And then the lie is, I'm going to keep them and be Jesus to them. I'm going to represent Jesus to them so they'll know the Son of God through me. No. No, 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 no. You let the Holy Ghost handle them, not you. You follow, and many times following, you got to say bye-bye. And if you'll just follow and say bye-bye and just keep living, God cares about them too, and he'll bring them along if they want to come. So I want to ask you, are there any relational interferences in your life? Are there any friendship structures you need to let go of? Are you ticked off at an ex, ticked off at a boss, mad at your husband, mad at your wife? Young people, are you ticked at your children? Has a preacher done you wrong? Has somebody done something, a boss, anything? Because the devil will always use people to interfere with you truly following God. It is amazing to me, the young man that's just like, oh, my life is so broken, I have no friends, and I don't even have a girlfriend to love me. Dude, just press into Jesus. Okay, man, whatever you say, Pastor Mark, Jesus, I press into you and I shall follow you. And less than six hours later, ring, 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 hello, I'm following God. Hey, this is Susie. I've been thinking about you. Is it not amazing? Not one girlfriend until he decides to press into God. And the enemy's like, oh, I'm going to send him a chick now. I'm going to mess his whole walk up. I'm going to send an ex-lover back into his life. I'm going to get him totally messed up with relational interference so he cannot follow God. So I just ask you, are there people that have interfered with your following? Are there people that have hurt you, wounded you, rejected you, that have done something, that have caused you to have a very skewed, weird thinking about Jesus? The third one is in verse 24. This one burns, so the next two are going to burn. So those were non-burners. <laughs> the next two will burn a bit. Because now he finds himself with verse 24. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That's a demon talking. And Jesus is telling us in this journey with me, when you follow me, you better grow up because you're going to bump into demonic activity. You're going to have to deal with spiritual warfare. There are demons in this thing called following God. I know nobody talks about it a lot anymore because it's just kind of politically incorrect to act like there's another world out there where demonic powers come. But Jesus obviously introduced us to them. When you follow me, you're going to have some spiritual warfare. When you follow me, you're going to bump into some demonic things here, Mark, and you better walk in the very power that I give you because if you don't, demonic things will influence you and lead you out of following me. Now, I'm not here to teach on demons today, but I want to give you what I learned that has helped me. Years ago, I heard a gentleman say this. He said, if there are things in your life, habits, addictions, emotions, things of that nature. If there are these things in your life 
that for some weird reason you cannot shake. You have tried to shake the addiction, but you can't. Hey, I'm doing it this year, man. I'm going to lick tobacco smoking finally. And every single year, you can't. This year, man, it's January 1. Jesus, no more porn. I am done with pornography. 12 p.m., December 31st, 2019. And by 4 in the morning, every devil of hell is knocking on your door to bring you right back into the very addiction you just denied. And he said in his teaching, he said an addiction, a habit, a lifestyle that you cannot conquer through discipline is 99.9% .9 certainty it's a demonic spirit you're dealing with. So me and Robin, we're going to finally lick this arguing. We aren't like we don't, but we argue all the time. And oh yeah, man, we've gone to counseling ten times. And nothing, nothing's ever going to help us. We've been ten times before. Nothing. We heard the preacher. The preacher didn't help us. It's because the preacher's not the problem. She's not the problem. I'm not the problem. There's a devilish work in your home that says you'll never fix it. It'll never get better. To the young boy that is repented of pornography or girl repented of pornography 20 times but cannot get free of it. It's because you're dealing with a demonic spirit. To the person that has made 42 New Year's resolutions and not hit a one of them. You're probably dealing with demonic spirits. And demonic interference is being ran in many Christians' lives. Because they're struggling with addictions and long-term habits and emotional problems. And they just can't seem, no matter how many books I read, how many altars I go to, how many prayers I pray, man, nothing is working. And it's because Jesus is going to teach us when you follow me, there's going to be th some things that come against you that are of another world. And weird, everybody in this room believes in the other world because we go to movies and pay for it. We believe in the Batmans, the Spider-Mans, the Supermans. We believe in the Harry Potters. But when somebody stands up and goes, y'all know there's demons in the kingdom of God? <gasps> right? That's what Jesus is going to teach us. And the fourth one, and man, this hurts. Jesus shows up at the house of Peter's mother-in-law, and she's sick. And the Bible says that she cannot even get up because she has a fever she can't serve Jesus because she's sick in her physical body. And Jesus reaches down and says, be well, and touches her. And Peter's mother-in-law gets up and begins to serve him and prepare things for him. And this is the final one I found that's a real struggle, is physical interference. It's, it's forgetting that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And now you're so physically worn out, you can't even function with God. You're worn out because you're chasing money. You're emotionally worn out because people have frustrated you. You're spiritually worn out because you're in demonic, all kind of demonic war, and now your physical body is shot. You're of no use. You're working 50, 60 hours a week. Your marriage is suffering because of it. The physical side. We forget that the physical is still very important to God. Your physical body is so important to Jesus Christ that he's going to raise it back up one day. 
This lie, oh man, I, this gonna, I, don't, I was going to call it a lie, I'm not. It just go, this is my opinion, so I'm going to reel it back in and not be so passionate. Alright, so I just reeled my passion in, but I'll tell you my belief. This thinking that when we go to a funeral, here's Mark, his little body. Now, this is not the real Mark. The real Mark is not here. The real Mark is up there with the Father. That is not even scriptural. This is the real Mark. That is the real Mark. That Mark is going to reconnect with this Mark and make the new Mark. This Mark is so much me, Jesus is going to raise me back up when he comes back. So to say this is not the real me, if that's not the real me, why are you going to bring me back up? Because my physical life matters to God. You matter so much, he's going to resurrect you from the dead. And yet we play with our physical body. All right, I'm going to jump back on my soapbox. All the addictions and habits we do that affect our spiritual body. Come on, young people. I don't care if you jewel or not. I don't care if you vape. I mean, I'm not your daddy, and I'm not a doctor. But my Lord, we abuse our physical bodies. We abuse them with tobacco. We abuse them with alcohol. We abuse them with a jewel and a vape. And we just, oh man, I love Jesus. <laughs> oh, he's a good one. And I'm not saying it's a heaven or hell issue. I'm not here to preach you'll go to hell if you jewel it or tobacco it or drink beer and all that garbage that we get into religiously. But I am telling you, forget about eternal life. You matter right here. Your physical body matters right here. My granddaddy smoked his way into heaven, but when he got to his mid-70s, he was almost dysfunctional because his emphysema was so bad, he could not even hardly function and get off a couch. Why? Because he abused his physical body. He still went to heaven, but he was dysfunctional for the kingdom. And just to pick on me instead of other people, I'm riding down the road. I was on Highway 61 in front of Dollar General leaving eating Mexican food, which is the love of my life. And I hear the Lord say, you're passionate about my house, aren't you? And I said, gosh, yes, Lord, I'm passionate about your house. It was 6.54 in the evening. I'm passionate about your house. Because when God speaks to me, I look at clocks and I think. I, I want to remember this moment. So I looked at my clock. He said, you're real passionate about my house, aren't you? I said, I am. He said, you always go into Believer's Church. You straighten chairs. You mop. You clean toilets. I say, I do. I'm passionate. If you ever see trash on the floor, you'll pick it up. Yes, I will. If you come into work and there's trash out on the sidewalk, you'll sweep. Yes, I will sweep. Man, count me in, Jesus. And then I heard the Lord speak to me. He said, well, you really care about my physical house at Believer's Church, but you don't care about your own house that I dwell in. And instantaneous, I start crying because I know what he's talking about. Because I know that based on statistical health and the doctor that I went to visit that tells me I'm now in the category called morbid obese. This body that feels like it is a romantic icon of beauty. <laughs> Has been labeled by a doctor as morbidly obese. I can handle obese. That's cute. I'm obese. When you put the word morbid in front of anything, it's not cute. It's not cute at all. It's like, how was your doctor appointment, Mark? It was good. What did he say? Ah, uh, well, 
I mean, I'm good. I'm good. My blood pressure's good. I mean, what did he say? Oh, God, he called me obese. Obese? Morbidly obese. Morbidly obese. He used the word morbid? I'm like, oh, God. I haven't used that word in so long, I had to Google it. I've never even used the word morbid. It's not even, and and I'm now labeled as a morbidly obese person. But that didn't stop me. Every Ingles I go to, man, I get my two muffins. And to help myself be physically out of shape, I only eat the top of the muffin. Come on, somebody. Come on, top of muffin people. Any top muffin people out there? Oh, and anybody else just eat the crust off pound cake? Come on. Just the crust, not the middle stuff. That's me. And yet I realized that God cares about Mark's health. And so I had a moment with God. I won't tell you what I told him, but I said, I repent that I've casually let my physical body just kind of wear down. And I've made excuses and jokes for it rather than really dealing with you that it's interfering. Because years ago, I used to run three to five miles a day, play racquetball, go to the gym, and now I have to take my inhaler to eat Cheerios. I mean, come on, right? (laughs) Honey, bring me that cereal. (laughs) All right, man, a bigger spoon, you know? It's easy to joke about it. I had a a lady years ago, this is a long time ago, who would come to the altar almost weekly, every other week for prayer. And she'd say, Pastor, can you pray for my knees? And I'm like, sure I will. Anoint over the oil. Pray the prayer of faith. Elders lay hands. But she consistently came back and back, my knees, my knees, my knees, my knees are killing me, my knees, my knees. And I'm like, man, I'm praying. I'm giving my best prayers of faith. Come on. What's wrong, God? And then just in a moment, I thought, what's wrong with God? She was 150 pounds overweight. So is it God that needs to heal her knees to say, if I heal your knees, I can give you a thumb up that I'm I'm approving your physical abuse here. So you just keep abusing yourself, and then I'm going to heal you to say, I approve of it. I'm not saying God can't, because God's a gracious God. He'll heal fat people, skinny people, smoking people, token people. He's just a gracious God. So it's not like you're going to come up for prayer and we're going to weigh you. Like, all right, we're going to pray for healing. Get on the scale before we ask God to heal you back. If you're over 230 pounds, we ain't going to pray for you. You're going to have to go out and lose some weight before God will heal you, right? I mean, we're not going there, okay? We're not going to go there. But I am saying how much in our lives today in the American culture physically abuses ourselves, And especially with Christians and food. Like, we just will, we will eat so much we're about to die. And they're like, bring me another piece of cake. Like literally, I'm, I'm being joking. I mean, I'm lumping myself in with you, so I'm not acting like I'm picking on somebody. I'm picking on myself. When I look down and can't even see my shoes, I'm picking on me. But I do want you to know I have watched physical problems interfere with people serving God. My migraine headaches, my consistent sicknesses, and I'm trying to get healing, but I can't. Well, anytime I have a physical problem where I'm, I'm not seemingly to find supernatural healing and God's not healing me like I'm asking, I need to start going back through this list and go, okay, God, are there other things interfering? Are there demonic warfare? Am I abusing my body here? Do I need to eat better? Do I need to start walking more? Do I need to lose some weight? God, help me because this body is your temple, Lord. I want you to stand with me, if you will. I know that was a little longer than normal. I apologize. It's kicking off the year, and I kind of want to get us all on the same page. 
I'll try not to make it so long in the weeks ahead, but I don't want to apologize because I felt like I, I, I gave to you what I needed to give you to help you start this year off. But I want you to just look at the screen for a minute because as the band comes and we get ready for communion, to start our year off with communion, I want you to just look at the screen and let the Holy Spirit talk to you. Which one of these areas are you battling? Which one of these areas is interfering your following Jesus? Are you chasing the almighty dollar, wearing yourself out, frustrated about money, stingy? You know, I mean, number two, are there people in your life you need to let go of? Relationships. Number three, are you got habits and addictions that you can't break? You've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. That's a spiritual. And then physically. Are there some changes you need to... We call them resolutions. And everybody seems to do it at the top of the year. I'm going to eat better, lose weight, whatever. I'm okay with those things. But your physical life isn't about a resolution. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus wants to use you for a long time. He doesn't want you to die young because of blood pressure problems and sugar problems. And He wants to use you. He wants to use you for His kingdom. So maybe they're like me. Maybe you're like me. There's some physical interference where you just need to say, God, there's some things I need to repent of, of how I've treated my physical body. It is your temple. So now if you'll bow your heads and think about those four words. As we prepare to come to communion, this is where our part ends and the Holy Spirit takes over. And if something I said today pricked your heart, then that's the Holy Spirit. And He wants you to just leave it here today. And it's real simple as you come. We have baskets. We do our giving. Those that call this place home, we come and do our giving here. And, but also when we come, it's a connection place for spirituality, for warfare. And when you take the bread in your hand and dip it in the juice, Holy Spirit, what areas in my life are interfering with me following you because I want to be a follower this year and not a looker? What is interfering? And I tell you, as you're in line waiting, as you come up in line, I promise if you'll just speak to him, he will show you something that's interfering with you following. He'll touch an area of your life, a thought, an addiction, a habit. And he'll say, let's deal with this. And it might be something that wasn't even on the TV, but he knows you better than I know you. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he might want to touch that. And when he does, you might just want to say, then Holy Spirit, help me. I've tried to do it on my own, and I fail time and time again. But I want to start the year saying, Holy Spirit, help me. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. At the end of my prayer, you can come for communion. We've made room to minister to you to my left or our prayer team. We've got an extra large space over there. I don't want you to feel awkward about going over there. Those are people that are just there to stand with you and pray for you. And there's even room if you just want to go kneel down over there. You can kneel. You can make an altar over there or even here at the stage. But this is the time where our service gathering concludes and we let the Holy Spirit have His way. Josh is going to lead us in some worship while we participate in communion. You feel free to leave when you feel comfortable to leave. If you want to go back to your seat and pray or spend time in prayer together and just hang out in an atmosphere of worship for a while, you're free to do that too. We're making room for all of that. I'll lead you in the prayer. At the end of the prayer, you may come and participate in communion and giving. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, this day... I confess Jesus as my Lord 
And as he's called me by name, I say yes to follow him. Jesus, I say yes. You are my Lord and my Savior, and you are offering me eternal life. And I say yes to your eternal life. Help me this year. Holy Spirit, be a follower and not a looker. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message.